The following is a North Carolina Baptist resource. For more, visit ncbaptist.org. When I was in college, our college ministry leaders, they really felt very seriously that as students, we were 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, that we needed to know how to study God's Word. They, we had worked through books together, curriculum filling in blanks, but they really wanted us to be able to take a passage of Scripture and study it in depth. And I remember that first passage or the first book of the Bible that we ever studied together as a college ministry was 1 Corinthians. And um, the way that they taught us, they said, you'll have these colored pencils and you will color in your Bible. And I will never forget that my roommate, who is now a full-time career missionary with the IMB, she was like, I am not coloring in my Bible. And every week she would take her copy of God's Word down to the quick copy when those still existed. And she would make a copy of that passage for the week so she could color on that and not in her Bible. But they taught us how to study Scripture not just how to read scripture, but really how to study and to go in depth. And I remember at that time, it was so overwhelming. And I know some of you today, you will walk out of here feeling overwhelmed with all that you've heard. Some of you in the first five minutes are going to feel really overwhelmed, but I encourage you don't check out. Um, I will never forget the first time I tried to learn how to crochet. And crochet is with one hook and you have yarn and it starts with these baseline stitches called chain stitches. And I remember trying to learn to do those and I did not think I would ever figure that out. But everyone told me, just keep practicing. Everybody starts somewhere. And I remember that was six years ago. And now I can crochet blankets, I can crochet scarves and hats and what have you. But I remember initially, I was like, this is impossible to do. But I had to keep at it. So I tell you today, hang in there. Some of this is going to be overwhelming to you, but hang in there until the end. Because I think the study of the Word of the Lord is so important that we have to be able to take a passage of Scripture and study it for ourselves. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. So the inductive study method, as I have already mentioned, it involves these three elements, observation, interpretation, and application. And observation is the method, I will tell you up front, is going to take you the longest amount of time to engage in. And what I always remind people of is if you do great observation and you take the time seriously there, your interpretation is going to be a lot easier and it's going to be a lot cleaner and smoother. And then your application is going to follow. But observation is going to take the most amount of time. So let's talk about it first. So observation. When we observe something, it means that we're looking at it very carefully. We're looking at it very objectively. And in this case, observation, when we look at a passage of scripture, it answers the question, what does the passage say? That is the overarching thing that we are looking for as we are studying the passage of scripture. As we are observing, we are getting an overview of the entire book of, uh, that we are studying, the basic framework or the big picture. Often what happens when we study scripture is we will take three verses out of context from a larger passage of scripture or a book of the Bible. And when those things are taken out of context, it can easily be twisted to say anything we want it to say. So we have to look at scripture in the larger context. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But as we talk about observation as well, we want to talk about observing the details, the tiny things that the author mentions, because they are mentioned for a reason, and we need to pay attention to each one of those. So we're going to move from big picture to finite details, and we're going to talk about on the next slide how to observe. And so giddy up, because this slide has the most of all of them. Um, So how to observe. First and foremost, whenever we approach scripture, we need to begin in prayer. We are studying the word of God and we need to rely upon the Holy Spirit to be our guide and our teacher. That is his role in uh, the Godhead. And so we need to begin with prayer. And so that is key and it is so important as we begin our study of scripture. 
But then secondly, you want to begin with asking questions. The first thing that you want to ask is, who wrote the passage of Scripture? So going back and looking to see who actually penned this. Because in some cases, for example, if you read through the Psalms, how many psalmists were there? There was more than one. Yeah. In some cases, it was David. In some cases, it was Moses. In some cases, it was the sons of Asap. Those are all things that you need to know as you're studying that passage of Scripture. So you need to know who wrote this particular passage of Scripture. Second, you need to see who is the audience? Who was the author writing to? Um, For example, in the epistles in the New Testament, if you look at the book of Philippians, who, who wrote the book of Philippians? Paul. Who was he writing to? The church at Philippi. Right. Those are the kind of things that seem obvious, but sometimes they aren't so obvious. So those are things that you need to note up front. If you look at any of Peter's letters, First and Second Peter, he was writing to persecuted Christians. And so that's important because as you read the entire letter, you have to understand the audience to whom he was writing. The third thing is you want to see where this particular passage of Scripture is placed. So where is it in a timeline? Where is it placed in the book of the Bible that it is in? Is it in sequential order? Um, And also, where is it in the entire timeline or the story of Scripture? Because all of the books that we have in our copy of God's Word are not in chronological order, especially in the Old Testament. So some of those minor prophets, what is happening there falls in place with some of the things that are happening in the books that are previous and even in uh, what Jeremiah is talking about and what Isaiah is talking about. And you have to know that. So look and see where that particular passage of Scripture is placed. So the next step that you want to do is look at Well, the next step that you want to do is you want to start out by reading and rereading and rereading and rereading again that particular book of the Bible. Why would you want to do that? All about context. It's all about context. You not only see the context, but then also, too, you begin to see words that that particular author will use again and again. For example, um, our women's ministry, we just had a women's retreat three weeks ago, and the theme was Abide. It was based on John 15. Who wrote John 15? John. What other books did John write? First John, Second John, Third John, and Revelation. John, he is the only one of the gospel writers that records Jesus talking about Abide and directly from the word of the Lord. And if you go and you look at 1 John, he talks about abide through all five chapters. It's absolutely amazing to see how the two are paralleled. It's so important to read through the book of the Bible again and again and again that you're studying. Because then also you can see what's coming ahead. But the next thing that you want to do is ask these five W's and an H. Um, I was a journalism major in college. That was what my undergrad degree is in. And this was Journalism 101. That is how you do um, objective journalism. Who, what, where, when, why, and how. And those are some of the first things that you want to ask when you are looking at a passage of Scripture. And I want to walk through each one of, uh, one of these now. Um, these are not, what I'm going to walk through right now is actually not on your slide or in your handout. So if you want to take notes, this would be a good time to do so. So when we ask these five W's and an H, the first one is who. When we look at who, we're asking who wrote it. So who wrote this passage of scripture? Who said it? Who are the major characters? Who is mentioned in the passage of Scripture? To whom is the author speaking? And about whom is he speaking? So you want to examine whatever passage you're looking at. 
from all of those perspectives. Who is mentioned, who's speaking, who said it, who wrote it, who are the major characters, um, who is mentioned, to whom is the author speaking, and about whom is he speaking. One of the things that I do whenever I study a passage inductively is I actually have um, yellow lined sheets of paper from a legal tablet and I mark at the top, this is the passage I'm studying. So if it was John 15, I'd mark John 15 and I write who first. And I go through that passage and I write every person that's mentioned who's being talked to. And then I move on to the next W, which is what. And with the what, what you're asking is, what are the major events? Are any festivals spoken about? Um, was, there, was it the Sabbath? What, what was the day of the week, if that's given? Are there any major events? What are the major ideas that are given in this particular passage of Scripture? Coupled with that, what are the major teachings that are in that particular passage? And what are these people like? Does Scripture describe what the people are like in that particular passage? You also want to look at and ask, What does he talk about the most? What is the overarching theme? So, for example, in John 15, the thing that Jesus talks about the most in the first 11 verses is abide. He mentions it multiple times. But after that, starting in verse 12, he talks about love and loving our neighbors and loving the world and loving disciples. But then you want to ask, what is the purpose in saying this? Is that provided? The next W that you want to look at is where. And where is talking about location. So where was this done? Where was this said? And where will it happen? So you want to write all of those things down. And then finally, the when. And this is W-H-E-N, not W-I-N. But when was it written? When did it take place? When will it happen? When did he say it? And when will he do it? So in this particular case, one of the things that you want to look for um, is after these things. Because that's telling you all the things that happened before. After all this, this is when this was going to happen. See if there are any days mentioned of the week. All of those things you want to write down and note. And then the last W is why. Why was there a need for this to be written? Why was it mentioned? Why was so much space or so little space devoted to this event or teaching? And the last one is H, the how. And that answers the question, how will this happen? Are there any questions about the five W's and an H before we move on? When you did say how, aren't there um, tenses? How is it happening? How will it happen? How has it happened? There could be. I'll give an example on the next slide that will kind of show That's a good question. No, that's a good question. Any other questions? All right. So the next thing that you want to do in this particular passage of Scripture is that you want to look for and mark keywords and phrases. Now, a key word is a word that the author uses repeatedly in a very significant way. So, for example, you don't want to mark every time the author uses the because you don't need to mark all that. For example, in the passage in John 15 that hopefully we'll get to at the conclusion of our time together, abide is a very significant word. A significant or key word or phrase is one that if it was removed from that passage of Scripture, the meaning of that passage of Scripture would be unheard. It'd be hard to understand what it meant. So those are the kind of words that you want to mark. Those that the author uses repeatedly. Ideally, those words that you're going to mark are those that are going to answer one of these five W and an H question. 
So that's kind of what you're looking for, and that's a good rule of thumb to use as you're marking those particular words. For each one of these words, what you want to do then is list what you learn about each word. What does the scripture say in each of the verses about that particular word? And write that down. And it sounds like a lot of writing, but studies show, and this is just true, the more we write something down, the more it connects with our brain. And so the more you write it down, the more you're going to remember it. The next step that you want to do in the observation method is look for contrast, comparisons, terms of conclusion, and expressions of time. So for example, I'll give you an example for contrast um, and comparison. Um, Last year, our retreat theme was uh, from Colossians 3, Holy Chosen Beloved. If you look at the uh, Colossians 3 verses 5 through um, 9, Paul lists all of these deeds of darkness. And there's 11 that he lists. But beginning in verse uh, 14, he begins to look, look at what it looks like to walk with the Lord and what that contrast would be with what he just outlined. So what the, um, the flesh looks like compared with what walking with Christ looks like. And those are things that you want to mark because the author is showing you here's a comparison or a contrast. So that's what you want to look like in that case. For uh, conclusions, terms of conclusions and expressions of time, words that you want to look for are therefore, or for, or so that, or for this reason. Therefore, what does that mean? If I were to give you a long soliloquy and got to the last sentence and and then said, therefore, I say to you, what would you want to do? You learn the soliloquy. Therefore means that it is therefore a reason. And so you want to back up and look at all of what the author has talked about prior to that word being used. You see this a lot. The Apostle Paul uses this a lot. Like in his epistles, if you look at the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 1 through 3 is like one long sentence. And you get to Ephesians 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And you're like, okay, i got to back up to all of this that he has said in one long sentence in chapters 1 through 3. So that's important to look at because what he's saying, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, he outlines in those first three chapters. So those are some of the things that you want to look for. Then next, you want to determine if there are major characters, doctrines, or events Are there certain things that are uh, taking place that need to be noted because they are key individuals or events? And then finally, you want to give, you want to check the theme of the chapter. If the chapter had a theme, what would it be? How would you summarize the chapter? Um, You can do this by giving a headline to the chapter that uses some of the words that are in that particular chapter that you're studying, where if you were to go through and look and you've written down a chapter theme, you would know this is what this chapter is about because you've um, summarized it well in a short headline. Are there any questions about how to observe? All right, then let's practice. Okay, so this verse here is from John 7, verse 1. Um, and it says this. It says, After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. So let's use the method that we just learned, the five W's and an H, to break down this verse. So what is the first W? Okay, first W. Who? Okay, all right. That was a J. Um, Okay, first W is a who. So who are the who's? Jesus. And the Jews. Okay, are there any others? John. Where's John? John wrote it. Yes, you'd want to note that, that John wrote it. All right, so what is the next W? What? What. And so what is the what? Right, he's walking in Galilee, not where? In Judea. He's walking in Galilee, not in Judea. 
So what is the next W? Where. So where's the where? Galilee. So what is the next W? When. So what is the when? Say it again, Eden. After these things. So what does that mean? If you see after these things, what do you need to do? Right. You need to go back and you look at chapter 6 and see what happened prior. Chapter 6 is actually Jesus where um, he reveals himself as the bread of life. And um, you have to back up to those things because these are the same people that are with him. All right. What is the last W? Why. Why. So what is the why? Because the Jews were going to kill him. Now, what is the last letter? How? H. How? So what is the how? Okay. All right. It's actually a trick question because there actually is no H up here. There's no how in this verse. This, if it said the Jews were seeking to kill him by stoning him, that would be your how. But there's no how in here. I use this example to point out you're not going to have all five W's and an H in every single verse. That's not how the Holy Spirit led people to write scripture to so that we could use this method. So you're not going to have every one of them. But that that's just an example of if it detailed how that would be your how. Does that make sense? Okay. any questions? All right. As you can probably see, the observation portion, it takes a long time. But this is not something that you want to set aside just 15 minutes for in your quiet time in the morning and breeze through because it's not going to happen. So what I always encourage people to do is start with one step. Start with the first W and walk through a passage of scripture multiple times to see if you can mark all of the who's for the first time. Then add the next W to that. Add the what. Start writing those things down and observing the text that way. It takes time to get into practice of doing that. And if you do it step by step, little by little, it becomes a habit of that's how you start to look at Scripture and that's how you start to observe. But observation is going to take you the most amount of time. But like I said earlier, if you observe well, interpretation is a lot easier. So let's talk about interpretation now. All right, here are some principles to interpret by. The first one is this. Remember that context rules. And context could be best defined as that which goes with the text. So context means If you're going to look at three verses of Scripture, you need to look at the larger verses that surround the text before and after. Um, That way you see in its fullest picture. How many of you have ever been taken out of context if you've said something and someone has repeated what you've said to someone else? It's the most frustrating thing in the world, right? We do it all the time to the, uh, the Word of the Lord. We take His Word out of context So it fits what we want it to say. And we can't do that. That's, it's twisting the word of God. So we have to look at context. Um, Any interpretation must be considered in light, like I said, of the surrounding verses and chapters of the book as well. The book and where it's found, but then the entire counsel of the word of God. So look and see not only where a passage of scripture is speaking about something, but if you are unfamiliar with what, um, if you have a hard copy of the Bible, I can't speak for electronic versions because I don't use one. But if you have a copy of the word of God, you'll see that there are um, footnotes. You'll see numbers and you'll see letters that are accompanying different words in the verses Those match up with what are called interlinear notes that are in the center part. Sometimes they're in the center. Sometimes they're as a footnote of the Bible. And that will help direct you to other places in Scripture that speak about that particular word or that particular setting. Blue letter Bible is great to use for this as well. 
because it will tell you where some of those words are used in that same form, especially if it's a verb, where it's used in that same form in other parts of Scripture. And so that is a great way to do that, to be able to see where else are things being spoken about. Um, I'll use an example of this. My Sunday school class, we have been working through the book of Matthew throughout this year. And uh, we are now at the end of Matthew in chapter 27. And there are things in Matthew that Matthew's account of Jesus's trial and crucifixion that he doesn't record. But if you go to the book of John, John records them. Luke records different things. And all of those need to come together to get a full picture of the context of that evening. Does that make sense? Okay. All right goes hand in hand with the second point. Always seek the full counsel of the word of God. So question that you want to ask yourself here is what does scripture say about the same topic in other places of scripture? So look and see what else scripture says. Uh, For example, let's take spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts Paul writes about in Romans 12. He also writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4 about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are also spoken about in 1 Corinthians 12. And spiritual gifts are also mentioned, Peter mentions them in one of his letters. And you have to look at the full counsel. So it's not just, there are just these that are listed here. You need to see all of what scripture says. So look at the full counsel of the word of God on that particular topic. The third thing is this. Remember that scripture will never contradict scripture. Um, The best interpreter of scripture is scripture. Um, All scripture is God breathed and inspired by God and scripture will never contradict scripture. And that's important to remember that you're not going to see one thing, one place and something completely different another place. Um, So keep that in mind because that is so important to remember. The fourth thing is this. Do not base your doctrine on an obscure passage of Scripture. Um, An obscure passage of Scripture is one where the meaning is not um, entirely understood. Doctrine should be based on the clear, uh, repeated teachings in Scripture. Let me give you an example of this, because it became a hot topic in my Sunday school classroom a few weeks ago. We were talking about, how many of you are familiar with pre-trib, post-trib, all millennial, pre-millennial, post-millennial, um, all of those different words where you can see where scripture may say one thing or another, but there's not anyone that's like, this is, this is how it's going to happen because there are different obscure passages, especially in Revelation and what Paul talks about in First and Second Thessalonians. And so those are things that it's like, I'm going to be careful about this. So keep that in mind, because even Jesus said he didn't know when he was returning. So keep that in mind. All right. Interpret scripture literally. Um, God has spoken to us through his word so that we might know truth. Take the word of God at face value in its natural, normal sense and look first for the clear teaching of Scripture, not some hidden meaning. The writer of Hebrews tells us that in the last days, the Lord has spoken to us through his son and he has given us the word of God. Jesus is the word made flesh. And that's what John records in John one. The Lord desires to have a relationship with us and he desires for us to know him. And it's in his word that he reveals himself to us, not us seeing ourselves. We see him and who he is. So we can't approach scripture thinking there is a hidden message here that I need to get. That's not it at all. The Holy Spirit is our guide. He is our teacher. He is a director. He is our counselor. And we need to allow him to do that. But we need to come to scripture willing to be taught and to be teachable and moldable. But part of that is we need to interpret scripture literally. Six, look for the author's intended meaning of the passage. Let scripture speak for itself. 
And that's why um, on the previous slide or a couple slides ago, when we were talking about observation and I was talking about the headline or the theme and said, use words from that passage of scripture. This is why this is so important. We need to make sure that we are allowing the author's intended meaning to come through, not trying to apply a meaning that we are giving to it. So let scripture speak for itself. Finally, check your conclusion by using reliable commentaries. Um, keep in mind that A, you need to know the, um, the theology and the credibility of the people that are writing the commentary, but also keep this in mind too. No one person has a corner on truth. So make certain the commentator is handling the text correctly. And that is so important. And notice that this particular step is on the last of the interpretation. We need to go to scripture and study for ourselves. And then we go to commentators, not go to commentators and then go study. So keep that in mind. That is so key and so important. Any questions about interpretation? All right, let's talk about application. Application answers these questions. First, how does the meaning of this passage apply to me? Second, what truths am I to embrace, believe, or order my life by? And third, what changes should I make in my belief and in my life? So some questions to ask, and these are not written on this slide, so they're not on your handout. Some questions to ask. First, what does this passage teach? Is what this passage is teaching, is it general or specific? Does it apply only to specific people, to a cultural problem of the day, or to a certain time in history? And has it been superseded by a broader teaching? Let me give you an example of that. In the Old Testament, Jews were forbidden to eat what? Pork, anything with a split hoof, right? Was that superseded by a different teaching in the New Testament? Yes. Okay, which one? Mm -hmm. Peter, in the vision where he was at Cornelius' house and the sheep came down and the Lord told him, do not call unclean anything that I've made clean. And so that would be an example of this. Um, that's not up here. It's in here. Sorry. Um, of something that has been superseded by a broader teaching. So keep that in mind. Um, the second thing, does this section of scripture expose any error in your beliefs or your behavior? Are there any commandments that you have not obeyed? Are there any wrong attitudes or motives in your life that the scripture brings to life? And that's the Holy Spirit. When those things are revealed to you, that's God at work in your life. And that's God speaking to you. I'll give you an example of this in my own life. Um, last year uh, for our women's retreat, one of the things we always take a passage of scripture and we design our breakout sessions from that passage of scripture. Our passage of scripture, as I mentioned earlier, was Colossians 3. And one of the things that Paul talks about um, in uh, Colossians 3, 5 through 9, he gives 11 different vices or uh, deeds of the flesh. And of those 11, six of them have to do with the tongue. So as our breakout session committee was praying about breakout session topics, one of them that we identified was taming the tongue. And um, I got the short end of the stick and got that topic. So that topic, I think I got in April of last year, and our retreat is always at the end of October. And so I spent the entire year not just looking at James in James 3, where he talks about the tongue as the tongue is a spark that can set a whole forest on fire, but so many other passages of Scripture, too. In uh, Philippians, not Philippians, I'm sorry, Ephesians 4, 17 through 25, where Paul actually talks about it's our tongues that grieve the Holy Spirit with what we say. And it's from a hard and a callous heart that we do the deeds of the flesh, including our tongues. Uh, looked at what Jesus talked about, how our words are a reflection of what's going on in our heart. By the time I finished my study, before I even had anything on a slide to teach in a breakout, there was a lot the Lord had taught me and a lot that I had to deal with in my own life and confess. 
The thing about application is spending time in the observation and interpretation is great, but if we don't make application in our own lives, it's pointless. Because we're all about in this whole sanctification process, and that's what part of this is, is transformation to look more like Christ. And so as the Lord is teaching us things, as we are studying His Word, we need to be responsive to what He is teaching us. The third thing is, what is God's instruction to you as His child? And that's individual. Are there any new truths to be believed? Are there any new commandments to be acted upon? Are there any new insights you are to pursue? And are there any promises that you are to embrace? And the last thing, I don't have this on the slide either. As many times as I've taught this, every time I'm like, I should put that on a slide. And again, I'm thinking that right now, but sorry. Um, so when applying scripture, beware of the following. So there's three things. First, applying cultural standards rather than biblical standards. We look at culture through the eyes of scripture. We don't look at scripture through the eyes of culture. Does that make sense? Okay. Does that make sense to the larger group? Okay. So we don't want to apply cultural standards as we're reading the Bible. We need to read the Bible and then look at what's going on around us through what the Word of the Lord says. Second, don't attempt to strengthen a legitimate truth by using a scripture incorrectly. That's twisting the Word of God. So don't do that. Um, let scripture speak. And third, strengthen a legitimate truth by using a scripture incorrectly. So maybe taking a, a scripture out of context to try to solidify something else that you're trying to say, this is true, this is what scripture says, but taking something, uh, another passage of scripture out of context. The third thing is applying scripture out of prejudice from past training or teaching. So again, we need to be moldable when we come to the word of the Lord. It is all this together, the observation, the interpretation, and the application that leads to transformation, which is the ultimate goal in the study of scripture. Transformation to look more like Jesus, not more like the world. All right then let's use what we've learned because the teacher in me is ready to do that. Okay, you all have a copy of John 15 in front of you. We will not be able to get through this entire passage of scripture, but I do want to, at least from the very beginning, um, start looking at the first 11 verses. And we have 15 minutes, technically 17 minutes. So let's see how far we can get studying this passage of scripture using the um, inductive study method. So here's this passage of scripture and you have it in front of you as well. What is the first thing that we want to do? What is the first step? Pray and repray. Yeah, pray and repray. All right. Do I have a volunteer that will lead us in prayer? Okay, Eden, go ahead. Um, dear God, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is truth. Um, God, I pray that as we study um, John 15, that you would open eyes of our hearts to see how important it is to abide in your word and abide in your truth, Lord. We thank you for who you are and we thank you for your sacrifice in the Amen. Thank you. All right, what's the next step? You want to start asking some questions. What are those questions? Okay, so who wrote the passage? How do we know that? It has his name on it. Okay, John, the beloved disciple, identifies himself in the book. So we will take that, since we're not be able to read and reread uh, all 21 chapters of the Gospel of John. All right, what do we ask next? Who is the audience? So who was his audience? Okay, disciples. I heard Jews. I heard disciples. Us. Us, okay. I guess the audience, the audience that Jesus was speaking to or the audience that the book was written 
You can write down both, actually. Because in order to learn the audience that Jesus was speaking to in this moment, what do you have to do? Go back. back. Okay. So in going back, does anybody have a hard copy of Scripture with them? Or you can even use an electronic version for this one. What happens in John 14? Mm -hmm. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He talks about the Holy Spirit in John 14. What happens in John 13? Jesus washes the disciples' feet. feet. He has a Passover with them. Judas betrays him. What night would all of this have been? It was... It was Passover. It was Passover evening. It was the night before he was going to the cross. When you read and reread the Gospel of John, what you discover is John is actually broken into three parts. John chapter 1 through 11 covers Jesus' three years of ministry. John chapter 12 through 18, sorry, 19 covers when he entered into Jerusalem. And that's what John 12 covers. It skips ahead in John 13 and starts with that Thursday night uh, before he was arrested. John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18 are one long discourse of Jesus with his disciples. And it is in John chapter 18 that he's arrested In 19, he's crucified. In 20, he rises from the dead. And in chapter 21, he um, reinstates Peter. And John 20 and 21 cover those last uh, few days before he ascended back to the Father. So it's important to know that this is in the context of Judas has just left to betray the Lord. And it's here that Jesus starts to talk about abide in me. Does that make sense? And that's why it's so important to look at the whole council. But we can't read through all 21 chapters right now. So that's the Reader's Digest version there. But what is the question that you want to ask next? Yes, where is this passage placed in Scripture? So in this case, with what I just ran down with you guys, where is this passage placed? When did this take place? During Jesus' last week. Right. During Jesus' last week before his crucifixion and his resurrection, and it's the night before he's arrested. If you look at the larger where this passage is taking place, in John 14, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. In John 16, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. It's in between those two passages that he talks about abide in me because he is explaining how he abides in us through the Holy Spirit. I think it's so cool. Y'all don't seem as excited about this, but that's okay. All right. So from that step, after you look and see um, what this pa- where this passage of Scripture is placed, what do you want to do next? Okay, you want to reread? You're constantly reading and rereading, so, and praying and repraying and praying again. Okay, so what are you going to move on to next? The five W's and the H. And so what is that first W? Who. So can I have a volunteer that has a good, strong voice that would be willing to read the 11 verses? You can read it from your paper. You can read it from the screen. I'll let y'all thumb wrestle for it. Like, um, who wants, whoever just starts. Loud and strong. Yes, that would probably be good so your voice projects. If you don't mind standing up and turning around, please. Thank you. John 16, 1 through 11. says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. 
For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Okay, thank you very much. All right, so let's look at our first W. Our first W is which? Who. So who are the who's in this passage? The speaker is the principal. Okay, and who's the speaker? Jesus. Jesus. Who else? The disciples, mm-hmm. I heard. And us, mm-hmm. Who else? The Father. The Father, yeah. And as in, there's actually another group that's mentioned in here. Mm-hmm. Those that do not abide. So those are those that are listed that Jesus talks about or that are identified. Jesus, the disciples, those that do not abide, the disciples can also be those that abide. His Father. So what is our next W? What? So what are the what's? And let me give a suggestion for this. This is just what I use, and I find this easiest because I tend to think methodically. Start with verse 1 and look at what what's are listed here, and then move to verse 2 and then 3. It's, to me, it's easier to do it sequentially that way. That's just the way my mind thinks. I like things in order. So what, what are the what's? Mm-hmm. So... Vine and vine dresser, branch. Mm-hmm. And what about these things? Uh huh. Jesus is the vine. So if it were me writing this down, I would put Jesus is the true vine. His father is the vine dresser. And then I would write every branch in him that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. Because that's a what. And every branch that bear fruits, he prunes so it may bear more fruit. When I taught this earlier this year, a lady asked me, she said, are you basically rewriting the passage of scripture with the W as the what? And I was like, pretty much like I've got pages and pages of notes. But you know what? I remember it because I remember what I write instead of just reading it and this be- being very familiar. But when you write it down. So those are the kind of things that you want to look for. So let's look at, let's look until verse five at the end of verse five, because we just have a few minutes left. What else do you see? Conditions. Okay. What kind of conditions? Abiding. Okay. Flesh that out. Unpack that or elaborate for me, please. If you abide, then you'll bear much fruit. If you don't abide, mm-hmm. you can't do anything. Right. Yep. Now, am I going too far with this step by suggesting that uh, abide becomes a a verb that we can actually do? Mm, I don't think so. This is this. I think that's fine to do. This is a, a step that you want to be objective in. So you just want to write down exactly what you're seeing because you're not interpreting at this point. So you're just writing it all down. So, but Jesus does show we do see that. As disciples, we can abide in him because he tells us we can. And results. Mm-hmm. Okay. That the Father's glorified. Mm-hmm. And you prove to be Jesus' disciples. Yep. Good. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. 
All right, what is the next W? Where? Okay, where? Do we see any wares in this passage? Technically, they're still in the upper room when Jesus is saying all this. There's not a where identified in here, but that's where context is so important. Um, because it's at the end of John 15 that G- it says, after these things, they departed from there. Or at the beginning of 14. Actually, it's at the beginning of, uh, at the end of 16 that he says that. So they're still in the upper room here. Yes, sir. I may, I may, may want to withdraw that. It, was just, it seems to me that what I just heard was that he said, he said, um, let us leave, leave this place or get up and leave at the end of 14. Okay, let me. All right. The book of Kidron has his thoughts about the Bible. Yes. And what is significant about that is he's actually saying this as they're walking to the garden. And so that's important to note. So thank you for the for clearing that up. So he is saying this as they're walking to Gethsemane. I see it as like an object lesson. Yes. He's walking by and it's perfect time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. piles of unused or unproductive branches burning and smoldering. Right. As they walk across the valley. Right. And the significance, though, um, too, is that it's here that Jesus is revealing his last I am statement in the Gospel of John. He says, I am the true vine, which lends itself to ask, well, what was the false vine? And you have to go back to the Old Testament to look and see it was actually Israel that was not the true vine. And here Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. That's going much deeper than what I intended to today, but... Um, but that's something that definitely looking in context, you look and you see the significance of what he is saying, that I am the fulfillment. I am the true vine. And that's so powerful. Are there any other questions? All right. Can I pray for us and we'll be dismissed? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you are the true vine, Lord God. And we just praise you for that this evening. And Father, we just pray and we ask, Lord, that um, we thank you that your word is truth, Lord. And we pray and ask that, Father, that we would take your word seriously, Lord God. That, Father, that we would um, that we would study your word, Lord, and that we would desire to see you who as you are, Lord God. And Father, I pray that you would teach us, Lord. I pray and ask that you watch over and keep us as we depart from here now, Lord. May you be honored and glorified in each of us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you all.